Shopping Maniacs. You're listening to another episode of Shop Talk Show <laughs> podcast about websites. Ha, yeah. Look, I changed it. Ha. You did change it. I'm Dave. Uh, my grain is your gain. <laughs> Rupert with me is Chris. Looking good in the booth, Queer. Hey, Chris, how are you? I'm doing all right. I'm doing all right. Sorry about the headache. Yeah, sometimes um, you know, life gets you. Behind the scenes here, you know, sometimes you show up and you're like, Guess what? I have a splitting migraine. I don't know what happened. And a flat tire. But I'm going to eat some tacos here and try to power through. So that's uh, what's happening behind the scenes here of uh, our like 9,000th episode of Shop Talk here. So I don't eat on show very often, but this is going to be one where I do. Oh, yeah. No, we'll fix it in post. Yeah, yeah. I got I got one I this is it feels so silly to me and I feel like everybody and their brother and sister has a has a solution for this in their own way and it's but it's fun to talk about I think and it's in its um cash busting essentially like you Bust. have a style sheet or a script tag and I'm kind of thinking more about like quote unquote basic sites, something like like an eleven D site, or maybe just a site with just that you don't use any processors on, just a index.html file and some stuff. Okay. Because if you're using a whole build system kind of thing and it's getting run through Vite or it's a Ruby on Rails site and it's using the asset pipeline and stuff, that asset busting is is a part of those technologies. Like it's such a well-known thing on the web that you need cache busting of some kind for your assets because they're served with headers that say this expires in the year 3000 or something because what you don't want is a browser ever requesting the the same static file from the server again? You know, I might as well just tuck it in cache and be fast about it. That's kind mm-hmm. of what makes the web fast. Like if you had to ask for every single asset on every single page when you refresh, the web would suck a lot more. It's like a big oh. part of the equation of the speed of the web. It would. I mean, I mean, I, I would guess that's part of how like. Because the browser fetches the file, right? Like a JavaScript file comes down, parses it, even image data and stuff like that will like parse it and kind of build a tree that it needs to render it. Um, I wonder if we did not have caching, any kind of like this expires later, if it would just be a, if like it would have to re-parse everything every time or if it could be like, oh, that's yeah. the same file. I don't need to do anything. I already or if you just click, click over one page and it's not a single page app, you click over to another page and, and caching just didn't exist as a concept on the internet, it would be so slow. The web would be so bad. I know we always test our uncached stuff, which is important, right? Because if you improve that, you improve the whole website. But really, the web, you know, the web is at its normalist and fastest when it's dealing with fully or partially cached pages. That's the web you mostly experience. So it's just a big deal. It's a big freaking deal, right? You can't just ignore cache. But it, but if you say, okay, I'm going to cache the crap out of all my assets, you're also saying when they change, so it's something's responsibility to, to break that cache. This image has changed. This JavaScript has changed. This style sheet has changed. It needs to break the cache so that browsers request the new version it has to be done it's not right. optional on the so like if you're netlify i think they they've kind of skirted the issue in a way and i think it works fine essentially as they use e tags right so you yeah. then the file doesn't actually change the browser's just like hey is the e tag of this file changed yes okay well i'll download a new copy of it not as efficient as 
changing the file name or the query parameter because it has mm -hmm. to do this little extra round trip, but it's pretty much fine and Netlify is so fast anyway. It's kind of like who cares, but not, not every site in the world is that. So I'm thinking of sites that aren't Next.js or Nuxt.js that have some build process already that's handling this and yeah. they're not hosted on Netlify or Vercel or something that's handling it for you. So what does that leave? Well, it leaves a hell of a lot of WordPress sites, that's for one thing, and other sites in that category where you're not processing the HTML, but you need to bust assets. And I have a lot of WordPress sites in this category, and it's not the only thing. It could just be like 11D hosted on your, on your Linode server or something, which is fine. Like a lot of times you do. I mean, whether it's, oh, we... I put the wrong logo file up there, but I I want the thing to be called logo.png. I just don't want, you know, like I want it to be logo one final final because you can change the name of any file and that'll bust the cache. It will. But you, and then I think you were saying the query string parameter hack is kind of like generally works. There's something that's stuck in a lot of developers' heads that, like, some weird old, you know, it was called, like, SeaMonkey or something. I forget what it was. But it was some web server that's some, that's, I think, long dead. I could be wrong about this, but it just doesn't seem to be a big deal anymore. That query string parameter busting didn't work. Ooh. But I haven't run across that in a long time. But that's kind of why everybody was like, well, we'll just change the file name. And then that edge case is, is handled. Mm-hmm. Okay, anyway, so you got to bust it. One of the things you can just do is do it by hand. I've done this. I think on the Shop Talk show I do it by hand. I go into the header.php file and I change the stupid, if, mostly for the style sheet is mostly what I'm thinking of changing. I don't do it for mm -hmm. all the individual logo assets or anything like that. But it's annoying and it's error prone. And if you ship a bunch of HTML changes that do change and the CSS doesn't change because of caching, you can get into annoying situations. So one of the things I've, I've done in the past, and everybody's got their own little way, that's why I prefaced this, was I used Gulp, because I'm like, oh, well, we're going to process SAS anyway. Gulp has a little, like, find replace node thing you can chuck in there and say, hey, look through this file, find this string, and I've always just used something like cap the words capital cash underscore bust or something and replace yeah. that with, you know, date dot time or something. Just mm -hmm. come up with so a random every number and check it in. Deploy gets a new totally cash bust. Yep. And you can write in the gulp file like do it only if the page only if it changes. So okay. at least at least you got that going for you. But then you're in Gulp Town, and we've, you know, what was it? Probably a year ago, we were, you know, being had the had the Gulp fella, and it was like, Gulp's not dead. But it, we all were like, yeah, but it's not like widely used, you know? Yeah, it, yeah. I it's mean, a little it, weird, and it's quite the dependency to just chuck on a site just for that one thing, I think. Oh, I mean, I've done it just for CSS, and it feels like overkill. Uh, you know, and, and even that's like what its bread and butter is sometimes, you know, like... um. Yeah, so I mean, do you, so do you Well, I got a new one. You got a new one. Okay. Yeah, only because I was really trying to be like, okay, I'm I'm actively working on a like a WordPress thing just as a it's not important. I mean, it it's important to me, but it's not like a big thing worth talking about. But I'm working on a WordPress site and it involves shipping a new style sheet all the time. You know, like when I'm really actively working on it, 
and I'm wanting to look on production and see what's going on and stuff. I'm doing this like three, four times a day. I'm really sick of changing the query string parameter manually on the style sheet. Like I'm done. I can't do it anymore. Um, I'll I'll reach for gulp if I have to, but I'm going to solve this, right? But I got to thinking like, there's got to be a better way. Like why can't the other, some of the other technologies that I use help with this? And the Mm -hmm. way that this particular site is deployed is with Buddy. We've talked about Buddy. You've used it before. That's the thing I generally use to... It's the thing I generally use to deploy websites just because it's that are in this category because it's just like, okay, here's my FTP credentials, get the files off GitHub, cool, thanks. It can do lots of other fancy stuff, but I feel like it's a decent choice for that kind of help me to help me do deployment thing. Yeah. But yeah. it'll run your CI, it'll do all kinds of fancy stuff, right? And and it's a little bit like, you know, Zapier that has all these like you're like, what to what do you want to do in the world? Browse through our epic directory of stuff. Yeah. And you're like, ooh, you know. But it's a little Zapier. bit like that. For the yeah. first time last week or something, like oh, first, the first, first time, first, like honest go. I kind of knew what it was. It's yeah, fancy right. Yahoo pipes, but <laughs> it's, uh, <laughs> but it's, uh, use it for the first time. Uh, it's, it's really cool and intuitive. I did find they're not sponsoring the show. Are they? I did mm. find the pricing a little tough to, to <laughs> choke down. So we ended yeah. up going a different way, but, um, I think their pricing model is actually pretty interesting because they have some, I think they have through data analyzed what some of the like juiciest, you know, hard integration, churn, not churn. Yeah. And then just been like, oh yeah, those are premium. Oh, it's something wow. like, yeah, yeah. <laughs> it's, 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 it's stuff like, uh, uh, like Google docs to WordPress or something like yeah. the two most juicy ones. To, to integrate and then just chuck the premium label on those suckers, which I don't blame them, of course. I don't blame them. Well, and it, I mean, it, it it makes sense to me, like, because a lot of them are like, hey, you want to, like, integrate with Notion? Cool. You can create. That's it. Like, you can, like, create a page. You know, you can't create a block or, you know. Oh, or so, so there's just, like, these, like, you know, it's like, I think, a lot of the APIs are kind of just very slim pickings on what you can do with it, you know? So, um, I, so I would pay for premium API integration. So if they're like, we built out all the endpoints and so you can do literally do anything with this, these two, this would be great. So, um, that's just something I noticed. So, uh, so you're browsing Zapier and you're like, look at this and this and this. Oh, cool, cool. It can be a little bit like that with Buddy. I don't think there's quite as many and it's not really integrations focused, but you build pipelines for your deployment in Buddy and it evokes that same kind of feeling like, oh, there's a Cloudflare thingy. Maybe I should look at that. Oh, I see. You can just tell my pipeline to like clear the cache in Cloudflare um, when I deploy. So that's cool. You should have that in there anyway, but I don't, that's not quite where I'm going with this. I don't think... You still got to bust the file name cache in Cloudflare anyway. It's like, whatever. I'm sure there's a way you could trust Cloudflare more uh, in this in this scenario. But here's where I'm going with this. One of the things I just happened to notice in there while I was plucking around, like, maybe Buddy has this. Maybe Buddy has, like, a cache buster machine built into it. Like, I don't know, maybe. And they don't, but they have find replace. They just have that same like node-based find replace thing. I don't know if it's node-based. I think it's just like bash-based, you know? Yeah. It's just a just, really simple, yeah. 
Um, it's just sitting there. They just put a UI around around find replace for files, and they made it nice because Buddy does nice things. And so you 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 open up the little frol browser and you say this file, I want you to when this pipeline runs, look for this text and replace it with this. And the replace mechanism will use environment variables, which is kind of neat. You could imagine that being useful, right? Keep your environment variables like, or be able to sprinkle them into stuff depending on where the deployment is going pretty clever, but it has a couple of magical ones. And one of the magical ones is just like, what number of deployment is this? So it's guaranteed to be unique. So you can say, find this and replace it with the number of deployment, which works for busting cache. So I'm like, oh, finally, I don't need gulp or anything. I'll put in my, in my WordPress header file at the end of the style sheet, I'll just put like some string that's unique. And I chose triple brackets, just, you know, like a HTML templating language was triple, triple curlies. And in the middle, it's just said version in all caps. And then in my buddy said, look for when the style sheet changes, because it can be a different file that it's watching for changes and then it's doing a replace on. When the style sheet changes, go to the header.php file and replace that text that says version with the build number. And it's there done. That's all I needed. So I don't need I don't need any additional technology aside from what I was already using to have cache busting. And I could use that same thing in other, you know, if I wanted it in the footer or in other template files, you could use that kind of same strategy. I just thought it was nice. I'm like, I'm like pleased to have found it because now I can use that same technique on, on other sites and not have to be like, oh, I guess I'll wire up Gulp again. And it's no shade on Gulp. I just don't want to. No, want that's to. great. I mean, that's awesome. I, I, you know, where I had to do this recently was a, uh, a service worker. I updated the service worker on my site. Mm -hmm. um, and I, the, the application was, I wanted to get rid of Twitter embeds because they just bring down all of God's earth, you know, mm, they're just yeah. violent. And I have all these <laughs> tweets and all these old blog posts. And I just was like, you know what? I'm going to make the service worker intercept the request for widget JS and just kill it. Just, <gasps> just nuke the request. Yes. Yeah. So like my own Let's service worker is now. Flower. Yeah. And so somebody's going to get like, whatever, a, may it, it their service worker setup might not catch this or whatever but like anyway i just was like awesome and and i my ui will have to like respond to that if like a whole tweet embed happens but i kind of wanted to keep it just in case i wanted to go back to tweets i didn't want to just go rip out all the script tags you know for every tweet because then i'd never be able to add them back you know so anyway uh, so it's there. I, I did it Clever. So, I like um, that idea. Remember how somebody, I think Paul Arash did it once and then other people took it up and ran with it, that like YouTube light web oh, component? I love it. Yeah. Or it might light embed. Was it a web component though? I guess it was. Yeah. Don't we use that on Weezy? We use that on ShopDoc. Yeah, yeah. But it's so clever because it, you don't need a lot of, inf, like it, the way to integrate it is so light. And what I really like about it is that the UX of it is identical to what a real YouTube embed is. Because a real yeah. YouTube embed is, it shows you a, a still photo and the name of the video, and there's a play button, and you click the play button and it plays. That's everything that the, the really heavy God's Green Earth freaking YouTube embed does. <laughs> and, that, and then the YouTube light is just, oh, it's a photo and a, UR, and a anchor link to, to play yeah. the video in a little iframe. It's amazing, it's so clever. No. It's, it's, I mean, that's like, 
I need to do that too. Cause I did find like pages that were like slow on my site just from like, you know, yeah. just having YouTubes. So yeah, like it's just simple stuff like that. And you, but you know, you but do it for Twitter because, okay, fine. Have it be a block quote. Like I don't hate the block quote idea, but it's not the same, you know, like when you're embedding a tweet, it almost should have that cool embedded tweet look. It should. And, and, I know, you know, I mean, maybe just ship has sailed for them, you know what I mean? But like, yeah, maybe, but like, it should be like Twitter dash embed or something, you know, like a full web component. And like, I think, I swear to God, I haven't not, I just argued with a guy at Twitter. Like, I swear to God, at one point you shipped a web component. And yeah. then we'd look, they finally did look back through history and they really did for a minute and then bailed on it for some reason. But it was there. It was there. No iframe. Because iframes suck performance. It's a way to avoid it. Right? Yeah. So yeah, cool. you avoided this whole flash of a layout, and then yeah, you there's maybe some session stuff, and you know, harding and liking and stuff gets a little weirder or whatever. But like, I just man, what a just right there on the page. It's a little interactive widgets, totally scoped, isolated, no style bleeds. Bing bong, bing bong. Seems like what you now want. that got me thinking about this. Do you remember that they changed this? I just caught wind of the drama after it happened. But if you embedded a tweet and the owner of it deleted the tweet for a long time, the behavior was Twitter. Twitter's JavaScript would kind of like abort, and it would just show you the block quote styled as text on your website because mm-hmm. the HTML they give you is a block quote, which is smart. That's a good choice they made. But then all of a sudden, it started not aborting, and it would show you the skeleton screen of the tweet and basically say this tweet was deleted, which is unfortunate because all of a sudden your article changed like any website on earth. The vibe changed because you couldn't see what they wrote anymore, even if they really did originally write it. So they did revert it because I think that, uh, you know, the, the... the drama was you're changing the you know the public record, which is one of their stated little principles, isn't it? Like Twitter is the world's town hall or whatever. I'm like, well, if it's the world's town hall, stop freaking with people's websites then. Yeah, yeah. I mean, no, they have a. I mean, I feel like they should offer both. Does that make sense? Just like a like embed the real thing with the actual number of likes and blah blah blah, and then just the. In embed a historical document, you know what I mean? That's kind of like sure. you know, some styles that ship over. Or like, can you do it in like, call it 30K? Even that seems like more than enough to style a little freaking block quote with some like buttons on it. Like, can, yeah. we, can we call it 30K? I'll take it. But not... 350k i don't even know what the exact numbers are but no it's a lot it's i mean it's like 20 requests and stuff i mean it's so much going on so and then they did this thing like threaded conversations got weird you'd like try to link to one and it would like try to like show context you know the reply and the which sometimes I want and sometimes I don't. Yeah, and that was kind of hard to control. And then it depended on what the integration was. Because if I do that on WordPress, it requires WordPress to have additional UI to have a checkbox or something to yeah. to have that or not. And they didn't have it. So it was kind of like you're just stuck with it one way. Ugh, that sucked. Let's do yeah. some actual user questions, though. What do Let's you think? Let's go. 
Here's some advice ones. Uh, Eric M. writes in that he's working with a client that's suffering basically from poor CSS hygiene, lack of methodology. They're in a state where they have some like old bootstrap CSS, not even SAS, just linked up bootstrap. Uh, They've manually modified it, so they can't really quite upgrade it. some other library CSS. There's roughly two dozen CSS files per page with all kinds of random selectors with no rhyme or reason to their organization. It's all used on an SPA, so there's no individual routes that you can hit that, you know, there's just no front-end build tooling at all on the thing but two dozen CSS files. And Eric's task here is to bring some maturity to this, like fix up the mess and and you know, do a full rewrite of, of some kind of the CSS structure. What an interesting position to be in, be like to fix the CSS on a site. Not even, probably not even necessarily Im- improve the look or restyle anything, but just bring some maturity to the practice. Very interesting. Yeah. Uh, well, welcome to the hard stuff. You've leveled up uh, into your job and, uh, this is exciting. I was going to try to find some stats I had. So I've had this situation. I, I went to a client and they had literally, they were sending down one megabyte of CSS down mm, the pipe. Juicy. There are some cool tools. <laughs> um, does he say he's using SAS or it looks like just some CSS? So, um, Yeah, just CSS. It looks like no build tooling whatsoever. Well, okay, so... I'm going to give you step one. Step one, yeah. <laughs> St- sorry, is if you got suggestions, Chris, I don't want to hear them. But no, I want yours first. Um, but I do, of course. So step step one, convert this to SAS, and that's going to seem like an extra thing. But when SAS happens, you get source maps, right? And um, and with the source maps, there's this cool tool. Cool tool, sick pics. We're we're syntax now. Uh, we got um, there's a cool tool called Source Map Explorer, and that's kind of like Webpack Bundle Analyzer. If you've ever used that, mm. um, that shows you a tree map of your your thing. Um, this will basically like if you have all these CSS files in one SAS file importing, and you build get the source maps working right, and that's like big like wavy oh, hands. So, but so you can smash it down to one CSS file. That'll so be an improvement already. So get it down already. to one CSS file. You've immediately yep. saved a bunch of requests. Okay? Yep. Okay. Now you're going to see in large what these files are like, what, like how big they are, and then like what are they trying to do, you know? Like, uh, and that's sort of, you know, Bootstrap may even have its own whole CSS, like, it may include a dozen different partials and stuff like that. But but what you basically want to do is like get a size and get an idea of how it's chunked, um, whether manually or or uh systematically, but this these are kind of like manual organization techniques. So I would do that first and then try to find your bloat. I mean, don't spend 70 hours on a two kilobyte on on the two kilobyte file, spend 70 hours on the one hundred megabyte file you know right i mean if it's all of bootstrap and bootstrap includes um i don't know tabs or modals or some kind of design pattern and you do a find in project and see that that string appears nowhere in it you can probably you know drag your mouse and select a big chunk of bootstrap and just delete it because yeah. you, you've proved via find and project that it's not there. I mean, it's not 100% foolproof because, 
maybe you have weird third-party JavaScript that pulls down some HTML that you didn't know about that gets injected onto the page, and that's where that string appeared. That's what always worries me about CSS is that it styles things in weird states that mm -hmm. are, are hard to explore. Find and Project is pretty good, though, you know, and it also doesn't account for like string concatenation in JavaScript. If somebody like decided to put the class name on a div by concatenating TA with BS to make tabs, now all of a sudden you didn't find class name tabs and <laughs> now you've deleted CSS that you needed. That's what's hard. I'd say I really like Dave's idea. Get the request down and be able to analyze it better. Uh, you know, and then you can start using variables and stuff anyway, which is a version of maturity for CSS. But one thing I'd recommend, the, the very first thing that you do is, if you possibly can, and I, I hope that you can, is use something like Percy, which is visual regression testing, Ooh, so that every PR good. is just making sure that you're not ruining the site. You know, be like, go to these five crucial pages of the site take a screenshot of it is what Percy does and compare it to what's on master so that as you, and when you delete that big chunk of CSS, that is it a surprise to you that the, that the look of the file is different? And if, it's, if there is no difference, and it's hard to be comprehensive, but at least you can be watching yourself for big gnarly ones. That's sort of like the bar stool and a different bar falling down problem. It's trying to solve that, trying to yeah. Yeah. What worries me there is that the bar stool is it tends to not be like the home page. The bar stool is like three modals deep on a page that you forgot about. That's what yeah, fell the over. Gluten free ingredients table. Yeah. <laughs> <You know? laughs> Absolutely. Four websites over. Yeah. But that 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 should help a little bit. Another thing he says this is all used on an SPA, and I'm thinking if it's an SPA, it's probably using. A modern JavaScript framework of some kind. Usually those modern JavaScript frameworks offer some kind of component-based styling. If it's a view site, there is a way to put the CSS right in the component itself. Chances are this site is built from components. I'd, I'd be more apt to start moving styles into component-based styles as you're deleting them from elsewhere than anything else. That's, uh, that's what I've been trying to do. And not like I'm... It's overly... Uh, like wild, but I'm if if you say, oh, this is a component style, not a global style. Like, like here's a global style we have is meta text. It's a little fainter. It's a little smaller. You know, 15 pixels instead of 16 or something. Um, that's a global style. We're going to use that in 10, 20 different places. But your, um, but something like tabs style that's in your tabs control so put it in your tabs component so move whatever you can into the into the component and yeah even just in a directory next to your component would save you all the mental load cognitive load of what's happening in the file you know why why is this exist and where is it just put it next to the file next to the component and name it the same thing as the component that's going to change your life i think yeah, yeah, nice. Good luck, Eric. That sounds yeah. fun. I, I mean, I think those three things, if you can just like try to understand your CSS, you may even have to spend a few days just reading it. Like just like read through the CSS. Get it and make notes. Comment comment the CSS. That's probably another problem with it, is that there's no comments in it. Like chuck some comments in and be like, okay, this controls blah blah blah. I've done that before. It's great. 
great practice. So. Mm-hmm. This episode of Shop Talk Show is brought to you by another podcast, Whiskey, Web, and Whatnot. Fantastic podcast from Robbie and Chuck over there. They run their own agency as well. So come at it from uh, a long career in tech and lots of uh, different technologies that they use. You know, I found that you know, Dave and I on this show, like have a certain set of technologies we have the most experience with and then end up talking about that. And being a guest over on Whiskey Web and whatnot was so fresh because they definitely have a totally different set of t- I mean, we're all web people, but they have a different perspective on things because of the different technology choices they've made and had experience with throughout their career. So they obviously talk about whiskey. That's great. The, it's the, you know, the beginning small chunk of the show, everybody enjoys a little whiskey. They talk about it. So there's that aspect to it. But, you know, it's largely about web stuff, but lighthearted, you know, not super duper heavy on tech all the time. They have guests from all kinds of different areas of web development, uh, uh, lots of variety there, which is kind of fun. Web3 and NFTs, fairly frequent topics and stuff. I think it's just worth a subscribe. If you like this show, there's a good chance you'll like that show. Uh, I certainly enjoy it. They do a good job over there. Uh, uh, can't have enough web podcasts, right? Go check out web whiskey. That's the first thing. Clutch whiskey, web and whatnot.fm. If you just spell it all out.fm, you'll get there and it'll be in the show notes, of course, too. Thanks. Bye. Right before we started, I asked in the Discord if anybody wanted to uh, bring up any particular topics or something. Andrew was wondering about um, previews on CMS-driven sites, meaning any literally any site that uses a CMS. Awful lot of sites out there. Let's say you're producing or editing some content. Isn't it nice to be able to see what the heck you're doing before maybe you hit that publish or update button? It is a weird thing on the internet. I mean, this is a, a huge rabbit hole, of course, but something like WordPress I just got done talking about, this is a no-brainer. For a long time, this was kind of like, obviously, you can do this. You just look, and then, or you hit the, the preview button first. It's like baked into the technology, but there's an awful lot of like... The, the second you choose a, that you're going to use a headless CMS, now there's a separation between where that content lives and where the site gets built, and previews are just a lot harder. Uh, just kind of depends, I guess, you know. It's one thing to be like, I'm going to change the uh, the background color of this sidebar and ship it, and let's say you're using a cool thing like Vercel or Netlify, you can look at the deploy preview and see that the background color is now the nice lavender purple that you're asking for, but that's not content. You know what I mean? If you go to Contentful or Sanity and change the value of some content, that's not triggering a a development build on your build service. Like, how do you see what your content changes are going to look like? And it's just a, it's a freaking thing. You know, if your content is in your repo, it's a lot easier. If your content is in a headless CMS, it's a lot harder. Yeah, that's for sure. I mean, I think there's too like a, you know, I think as developers we we build trust with our tools that we use, and we're pretty confident. If I type this out and hit save, I can just push commit without ever starting at my local host, and like boom, it's up there. You know. Like I'm pretty confident that's I know how my markdown machine to text markdown to website works, you know. Um, so I think like this 
But I think not everyone works that way or not everyone has that level of trust built up. You know, um, even with WordPress, it's like I could just type it and hit save and then like just have pretty good feeling that that thing that I authored went out in the style I expected. But not everyone has that trust. So I think it's about that. Like, I think there's um, I think some people want more like verification about what they're going to hit publish on. And some people are completely visual. That's another thing I've learned is they just want it to look a certain way, you know, and that's where we get into like accessibility problems with like, they want everything to be an H2 or whatever, but like they just want it to look a certain way before they hit publish. You know, it's, it's kind of the like, yeah, old, I don't know. I'm going to tinker with my word document before I submit it to class. You know, Mm -hmm. (laughs) there's it's, but we're, I think us who are more web native are very much like, oh, I just like, whatever. I'm just going to just, if it, if it's messed up, I'll just do it again. You know, whereas I think people who, I don't know, their life is kind of on the, like, you get one shot to like present yourself, you know, mm-hmm. maybe that maybe they're in, in the whole, I want to make sure it looks right before I hit save. So, yeah. Um, Yep. That's just what I've noticed over years of of whatever client services. And then some people will say they want the previews and they're gonna totally do it, and then they don't actually use that stuff. So Right. So if this is hitting really hard for you, this kind of like, oh yeah, we have this kind of, you know, we have our, our exotic front end stack that's built from some kind of static site generator or something, but our content is in probably contentful or sanity uh i don't know maybe fauna i don't know but 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 partic- those two are pretty big names i should mention that there's this company stackbit.com that i feel like pretty much specializes in this they made this really fancy content studio thing yeah that, that allows you to kind of like edit the content right on the page visually which is impressive enough but then you like save that and it it shoots out to your headless CMS, right? Yeah, but only when you're ready, you know? Like, you're previewing it exactly how it looks on the page, and it makes this kind of temporary build of the site with the updated content on it. And then you're like, okay, I'm happy with that. I'll hit publish. And then it kind of makes its way over to the actual data store kind of thing. So it's like a little bit of a Hmm. middleman. So, like, I I would say that this has been thought about and and messed with. I'm not sure how Tina works into this, but if you've seen Tina.io, Tina CMS... It's like a little similar to that. I think forestry probably still exists. This is our second product, but in a similar vein for sure. I have, as much as I like them both, I think Stackbit's a little more fancy with how it integrates with headless CMSs, whereas I think the assumption in Tina is that it's um, the content is in your repo, essentially. But I could be wrong about that. Sorry if I am. Well, you both do a good job. Love you both. <laughs> <laughs> Everyone's doing great. Um, oh, I think like when, too, it, there's worth the, a slight distinction. Like when I want previews in, in my dream CMS, right? Yeah. Like I, I really kind of just want like a vibe. I, I want it to be close to what I'm seeing. I don't actually need like one-to-one header footer, you know, email sign up at the bottom. Like I don't need all that stuff, but I'm not everybody. I think some people do need the full picture of what this is going to chuck out when, when you hit save and, you know, it's worth like craft CMS 
does this pretty well too. And, um, you know, I know like Andrew's worked with like Netlify and, uh, Nuxt mm. kind of integration stuff, like the Nuxt content API and stuff like that. So mm-hmm. I think there's like some really awesome stuff you can do. Um, but yeah, I think, uh, yeah, it, it's a, it's a hard problem. I mean, if it was like easy, it would just be solved. Right. So, um, <laughs> but it's, it's a hard problem. So, yeah, you, you, you did a post not super terribly long ago about analytics, I think kind of comparing the, the details of that. I have a question here from Magnus who's wondering about, he wants to pull off Google analytics from a site and then it's like, okay, well, but I still want some data fathom plausible search, mm-hmm. you know, Netlify's got a thing. What did you go with, Dave? The, you know, Magnus is wondering, like, what, I don't know, just topic-wise, what's a good alternative to Google Analytics, which, of course, you can't answer until we know your requirements and stuff. But uh, what was your journey like? Yeah, so I was on Google Analytics, um, and I um, got off of it. I just think I was like, I don't need this, and there's I, it was probably in, like, some kind of privacy surge or something, you know? Right. Um, but but I was kind of even more interested in just like owning that, you know? So I got Fathom spun up on my own server. This was like the community edition that they used to offer. And I put it up on my own server. Um, I just took it off. So, and I wrote this post, server-side versus client-side analytics. And uh, Jim has a uh, post, uh uh, basically it's the same post and I dragged my feet on the post cause we both had the same like kind of outlook, but it's basically comparing Netlify analytics and Google analytics, or I'm comparing Netlify and fathom dramatically different, like 10 X different uh, in some points or 18.5 X different page views. So for me, I think I just don't use analytics that much, but I think like, it really helps to maybe even have both like a server side and a, and a client side, if you're going to do it. Cause you need kind of this, I don't know, bicameral I'd say, or, or like bifocal uh, approach to like, what's your kind of raw log data and what's your, what's your client side analytics script data saying? Cause they can be very different. So um, I think you just, I don't know. I, uh, Fathom is great, I will say, and they have a, com- a paid product that's even better than the community product I was using. Um, so I, I could totally recommend it. Like, I, mm. I think it is. It's there's some vanity there, but I think it's fun to just know how your thing's doing. So I think there's. Didn't you find though that it was like real different? Like the numbers were like not only like 10% different, but like 400% different. No, it's like my top posts were different. So if I was doing the whole growth hacking thing where I like, oh man, that got 87 hits. I'm going to go write more about that one. You know, like if I like went full growth hacker, I would have gone in two different directions, you know, based on if I followed the data, you know? And so like, so my unique visitors in Fathom were 1200 a month or yeah, for one month. And in Netlify, my unique visitors were 26,000 in one month. (laughs) So 2X, right? Mm -hmm. 
mm-hmm. page views, 18,000 in Fathom, and 333,000 in Netlify. 333? So, like, wait, like, I don't know. It's 18x, 20x. 20x, I mean, yeah. Yeah. So, like, uh, so it's like 2x and 20x, you know, different. And so... So in your brain, you got to be like, these numbers are all garbage. The only thing that is could be interesting is relatively speaking. Like if I track next month and that had 340,000, I can see that page views went up a little bit. Yeah. But the actual number is bullshit. Mm. Right. I mean, kind of. Yeah. Like, I mean, I mean, what what am I supposed to gain here? You know, I, I don't think there's really much I can really... Um, Kind of, I, I, it just tells me some bot is hitting my server a whole bunch. That Netlify's stats are super skewed. That's all it really was telling me. Um, but, but I, it was also just telling me like, hey, like, there's a lot of bot traffic. There's a lot, but, but I think just seeing the trend lines too, I, I was kind of comparing those over the the two months, and man, it was like, you know, on one of them, I have more page views and less uniques or something like that over a year. And on the other one, I have more page views and more uniques over a quarter or a month or whatever. So it's this, like, even just the the basic stats you'd be, KPIs you'd be tracking are different, you know? So, like, Netlify showed a 25% drop in page views over the month and a 41% drop in, u- in uniques, but Fathom was showing the opposite. So if I believe Netlify, I'm in crisis mode. I lost 25% of my traffic, Chris. 41% of my visitors are gone. Oh, Christ, head on fire. Everyone's fired. From Dave Rupert, LLC, Billionaire Megacorp. So I've just fired hundreds, thousands of people from Dave Rupert, LLC over this gross misconduct um, yeah. mistrust and, but fathom is telling me, Hey, we're doing good. Numbers are up guy. Like we're up 25%. <laughs> so like, who do you believe? That's ultimately what it comes down to. So I would say that like, well, comparing across tools, that doesn't, it's just different. That's why only relative matters. But you're saying that the relative trends can be opposite, which is, that's even more just, just, just damning to the whole thing alarming and and then like i would tweet about it and then like you know got a bunch of tweets and they're like old old people (laughs) yeah we learned about this in the 90s numbers are just bs or whatever it's like if you learned about in the 90s like why are we still using yeah you didn't evangelize the problem very well then and it has it gotten not better since the 90s i would think we're like a smidge better than the 90s i hope that there should be some kind of like shared collaborated upon blacklist or something for like analytics tools for to say, an- hey because google analytics clearly filters bots right because that's that's just seems to be the vibe. i think they say they do and yeah. the numbers indicate that that would be the case well could they share what they're filtering so that all analytics tools can use it and contribute their own like well we've noticed you know bad that th- this isn't a real person either and contribute to that that would be an ideal kind of world if what gets filtered from analytics was some kind of was shared between the analytics tools. Yeah. I mean, and you know, I, I think Google analytics is like probably pretty good at what it does, you know? So I, I think like, I think you just have to kind of figure out what, you know, uh, what are you looking for? Who do you trust? Who do you, what do you believe? And then how much trust are you going to put into it? You know? Um, right. 
I, I find data incredibly interesting and I want it and like I will always have it in some fashion. Um, but I think what I'm like, what I'm feeling is that there's just really no telling, you know, right now there's really no way to, to know or, or trust the, trust the machine. So, um, so I think for me, it, there's other metrics I could maybe invest in like likes and tweets and retweets if I wanted to know my content performance. And so maybe something like web mentions is maybe even a better deal, you know, um, but but yeah, that's kind of my issue is like, I, I don't, you know, if you can't trust your data, who can you trust? And and what's, what's good data? What's a good signal is kind of it. You mm. know, we had, there's a, somebody tweeting about like GitHub stars versus like NPM installs and stuff like that. You know, and it's, it's like a, a GitHub star means, Hey, somebody went to the site and said, yes, I like it. But a, a download, an NPM download is like, hey, somebody's actually used this and installed this. However, a lot of the NPM installs are all CI driven and stuff like that. So it's like, so those big like hockey stick charts, that's just, you know, teams adopting it and, you know, with no choice and CIs installing it. It's really not like a, a signal of like, yeah, people are using this, or I guess it's like machines have installed this is sort of the, the, like, mm. uh, you know, but it's not like, oh man, somebody's using this cause they really love it. It's usually like a sign that something got picked up by a big project, you know? Mm. So Magnus also asks about, he says, I rem- Chris, I remember you writing mouth blogging about not sharing page view with advertisers. Um, that's wrong. Actually. I, I think that's, reasonable that and you know back when i ran css tricks that an advertiser would run a post and then they'd want to know how how much traffic that post got i would just tell them because i had google analytics on the site and just look up how many visits it got and share that because i I don't know it just seems like a reasonable request it's all anonymized data i'm not breaking any user trust i didn't feel um, by doing that. And I think that's a reasonable request for somebody giving you money. I also said that they could use it a links when they link out with tracking params on it so that their own analytics on their site, they could see clicks that came from my site with that kind of situation. Because again, that's just click on a link. It's not it's whatever. It's just how the web works with the query parameter. I'm not like sending along data, secret data from their logged in database. I don't have any <laughs> information I'm trying to share. So there was that, but that's, isn't that interesting? Like <laughs> if I, if, if advertisers care about me reporting that data to them, oh, wow, I should probably switch to Netlify analytics, huh? The number would be a lot bigger. <laughs> ka-ching, ka-ching. Yeah. I mean, that's, I mean, if I'm looking at Netlify data, I, I should just retire. I should go full-time <laughs> blogger and, and dude, I'm, yeah. So it depends on what you need this data for. Like, does it, what is it, what does it matter? Is it for internal decision making? Is it, to, is it, or is it more like people are getting paid based on those numbers? Very yeah. different things. I am in the like camp. Like, I think people should be able to get good data. It's just the the fallout is, you know, like the second we allow 
cookies and third party and tracking and stuff like that, people use it for bad. And that's just where it just gets rough. So I'm not even sure you can trust any of it. So anyway, good Josh luck from the, yeah. Oh yeah. Yeah. Good luck for sure. Another one from our Discord. Josh is like a little, sounds a little bummed about basically React and job hunting. I think Josh probably knows React fine, although I don't know for sure. I think he's kind of a view guy, isn't he? Aren't you, Josh? I forget. What's his games? Oh, yeah, Svelte, Svelte, Svelte. He's writing games in Svelte. He's got a new one, by the way. We got a sneak peek in the Discord. It's really good. Yeah. It's like a Wordle game. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, so he's he's thinking about how how ubiquitous it's everywhere that you'd be irresponsible, he says, not to focus on React if your goal is getting a job. And he's saying 90 plus percent of companies hiring front-end devs seem to be using React in some way. And it makes makes him wonder, is that, are we at the the peak of that? Is the peak going to stick around for a while? Is, is there anything looking to dethrone React, React as it, I think it's important to distinguish when it comes to like job boards and getting hired, because it's it's easy to refute the React is king by looking at global usage data and be like, oh, look, only this tiny slice of websites you actually uses React, but jQuery's on seventy five percent of websites or whatever. I've always kind of rolled my eyes at that because it's like, yeah, dude, jQuery ships with WordPress, and like most of those websites are not like developers aren't actively writing jQuery on those websites, right? But in React, they probably are, <laughs> you know? Yeah, yeah, yeah. And React is like, there's a lot of new projects in it and new startups and stuff like that. The picture is very different when it comes to getting a job. For real. And you, you like following the money. I mean, I, I think you can chase money in, in like definitely be in a situation where you need to like, um, like need, you need money. Lots of people need money. <laughs> Most people need money. Yeah. So like, uh, you, you know, I, I think like knowing react is probably like probably something you should do or have, you know, some kind of fluency in it. Um, I wish I had more to be honest. And I'm doesn't it sound silly. It's like, yeah, they're paying you because they want this particular thing. It's like if a railroad was hiring and you're like, Oh, I only think planes are good. They'd be like, that's fine then don't work at the railroad company yeah geez yeah i mean i will say i i'm i'm this is anecdotal but like um you know you look at the job market and stuff like that but um i i do think like if you're good at view if you're good at svelte and if you're good at uh web components i think there's jobs out there like you know, I've tried to find contract view people and it's kind of hard. Like there's like, you know, like to find people who are like quality, trustworthy, have an internet presence and stuff like that. It's hard to find those people. Cause like as a person, I can't just hire somebody who's like, Oh yeah, I'm like view professional, you know? And then I go to their site and it's just a bunch of like tailwind clones, you know, like I can't like evaluate, are they actually good at, at view or something like that? Um, but I think there are companies, very big enterprise companies that are using web components and they'd probably love to have somebody who really kind of knew the ins and outs of web components, you know, kind of straight up. So I, I think, I think if you just look at the big list, it's like a lot of companies bought in on react cause it, it really did have the best component model for 
a very long time. So, um, and it had a lot of backing and I've even heard people, you know, say like react one, the framework wars. So why would you choose anything different? So I've heard like this sort of fatalist viewpoint too, is just like react one is probably what you should use. So a lot of companies are just following into that same, not trap, but just like mental kind of like, you know, front ends complicated. We're just choosing react. Cause that seems like something that solves a lot of people's problems. And so, you know, so I don't know. It seems <laughs> I use it and d- don't regret it. Like I don't see, there see you go. The big right? problem is really, you know, code like pen's I, not switching to spell. No, no, that would be literally no advantages. Um, <laughs> I'm nothing against either one. I just, it's already written. Leave it alone. It's fine. We'll do one more user one and then we'll call it here, right? Rory Hendrickson is curious about CSS Houdini, which I don't think either of us have any real uh, secret inside knowledge on or anything, but it seems to me that they had a lot of traction, a lot of talk going around it, a lot of excitement and stuff, you know, and then all the excitement now is kind of focused on container queries, cascade layers, and other new CSS features have kind of overshadowed it. I feel like I heard people talking just the other day. I can't remember who was talking about, but they're kind of like, oh, it's kind of dead, you know? Oh, man, that's bad news. I just put it on my website. <laughs> <laughs> Not dead like it's going to stop, but like I, I get the vibe that like the web got out of Houdini what it's going to get out of Houdini. Mm-hmm. Like we got the like, we got the like typed stuff in CSS values and we got the paint module. Maybe that's it. Like maybe a few tiny little other things. I think our typed custom properties, did they, were they born out of Houdini? Yeah, CSS OM. Uh, what? Yeah. yeah. And maybe that's, maybe that's just what we'll get. Like, are we going to really get the layout mechanism thing? Probably not. Maybe not. You know, I don't know. It doesn't seem like there's a lot of people working on it. Like there could be some resurgence of it or something, but I don't see it moving <laughs> at the moment. No, I mean, paint worklets, that's what I'm using, are pretty cool. Uh, the typed OM, CSS properties and values, which I, I think that's like where you can like just define like a app property, you know, that's kind of the in the type stuff. But you can be like app property, whatever, dash dash foo, and it's a string or something like, or it's a color or something like that. You know? Right. Um, the one thing we kind of didn't get is like layouts and like adding to the parser, um, font metrics API. I don't know if we have that or not. I don't think that yeah. ever showed up, but layout um, probably wouldn't have, would have been a big deal, but we got, you know, grid and flexbox drop so strong and then container queries too. It's like, I don't think people are really, even, even like masonry is part of grid now, kind of, I don't know. if it's all- Yeah. And it was kind of pitched as like a, uh, that's, that was the layout thing, right? The, yeah. The that was like the CS- coolest thing Houdini could possibly do. So I just don't, I don't see people like, oh, we need more powerful layout. <laughs> if anything, people are pretty sated with their, layout abilities on the web at the moment i i you know animation api web animation api i mean i think we're getting like scroll timeline and stuff out of that yeah it's kind of the layout api is kind of the only thing that didn't come but man with grid and container queries and stuff we are so strong right now i don't think we need yeah 
I don't need Maybe anything. we just hang Houdini up and say that was a that was a great idea. Pushed CSS forward. Thanks so long and thanks for all the fish, you know? Mm-hmm. No, I mean I, I the it's worth noting my site does look different in Safari. Um because they don't have the paintlets and stuff like that. So, um, so really they don't do yeah. paint at all? No, oh, they don't do paint. Get at on all, that. So. Yeah, hopefully. <laughs> you know what can you do? It doesn't seem like hyper crucial. I'm sure you used it in some progressive, fancy way, right? Oh yeah, I mean it's just like a, it's almost like a background image. It's a canvas, literally. You know? Yeah, I used it for the little speckles on CSS tricks for a while. Is that still there? Probably is. Might be. Um, but yeah, I used the speckles too, and then I used the like hand drawn borders because I was I don't know I'm tired of the web. Here's what I like about Houdini. I'm tired of the web being boxes and circles and really primitive shapes, you know, and Houdini kind of opened this door up to where you could have rectangles and sci-fi rectangles, Chris. We talked about that in the discussion. I mean, as long as as long as you want them to be JavaScript powered, essentially, mm, yeah, because yeah. It's, it ends up as a background. And what else can you make out of a background? SVG images, whatever. Like anything mm. that it can do can also be done by an image. So I don't see the door being totally blown open to do new things because in the end, it's just a background. It's just a background, but you can program the background. It's yeah, a right. procedurally generated. Backgrounds. That's why I look at the speckles and I'm like, the speckles are cool, but like I could have just used a JPEG. I don't actually care that they're randomized, <laughs> even yeah, though they well, are. Yeah, I think what I'm going to do, uh, if I'm going to do anything with it, I think I want to have seasons on my homepage. So I think I'm going to have it change over time, you know? Yeah. There you go. See, now so, you're using programming. That's very of the web, which is neat. Even just, I think, it, I can't remember if I shipped it or not, but I was going to make it change every day. I think it changes every day a bit. <laughs> so... <laughs> That's really bad for my Percy integrations, but um, yeah. the uh, page changes every day. So just a little bit. So Indeed. Um, yeah. Well, cool. Uh, got a final question from the uh, Discord. Uh, burritos versus tacos. Oh, God. Yeah, choose, Chris. I'm eating a taco right now, so I choose taco. Oh, I'll choose burritos just to be contrarian. And oh, the guy man. Who made a Mac versus Windows. You know, it's hard to get a good taco around here, I'll tell you. Dave, it's not quite the. It's not not nearly what you have to offer in Austin. Burritos much more commonly. You saying I need to escape for some reason? Ten thousand degree heat here in Austin, Texas. <laughs> move up to Bend and make a taco no, shop. No, it's hot as hell here too, man. Oh but, man, I'm sorry to hear that. Yes, you should though. Well, all right, we'll figure it out. <laughs> all right, well, thank you, dear listener, for downloading this in your podcatcher choice. Be sure to start our favorite up. That's how people find out about the show. Follow us on Twitter for man. Eight tweets a month. We're really not not pumping the Twitter, are we? But hey, that's fine. Uh, and then uh, join us in the d- d- Discord, patreon.com slash shopdocshow. We have a YouTube, too. I think we're going to do some videos now that we're all back from vacation and whatnot. So, Chris, you got anything else you'd like to say? Oh, shopdocshow.com. 